Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Are there regional differences in theater games? Um, potentially. What do you call it? Do you? I mean, do you play zip zap zap? Or do uh, you, zip zap boing. Or do you call it zip zap boing? We've already, already talked about this on a podcast. You don't call we it. We hundred percent have a really early days one. Oh geez. Um, potentially Sweeney. Wow. Potentially no one That's throwback. because we talked about theater games, and one of the questions we asked was, "What theater games do you play?" Right. So you, and so I you bet play... you it's because I said zap. It's... Yeah. No, that's what. Yeah. Zip zap boink. <laughs> zip zap boing. Boing. Not like because you're boinging it back. Not bump it, crump it, Queen Elizabeth. Tap <laughs> it, <laughs> bop it. Do you mean like that? <laughs> no, I was trying to think up like uh, uh, eternally British things, and the first thing I came up with was bump it, crump it. Uh, <laughs> bump it, crump it. If you want to bump it, bump it with a crumpet. <laughs> <laughs> the British version of Gypsy. <laughs> Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Tommy. And this is the only musical theatre podcast with fermata. And fermented beverages. Sold it. Well done. Alcohol. Thank you. Uh, Here we take apart your favourite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffoonery and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theatre conversation. Tommy, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking a delightfully quirky cocktail from the stick of blips mm, and why are you drinking that <laughs> well i got a quiz question for you that perhaps will uh shed some it light it's make it as much sense as what you just said perhaps <laughs> probably people did really well with this one they actually um, did they actually did despite popular assumptions to the contrary this musical is not the first musicalized mashup of this author's work a previously created tv special stars among other people kathy Jimmy, christopher lloyd robin williams and an entire gospel choir what musical is the second musicalized mashup of this author's work well, Tommy, it could only be Susical. After all of those years being stuck on a page, did you ever imagine you'd see me on stage? Now I'm here. There's no telling what may ensue. No, there's no telling what. But I'll give you a clue. Oh, the things you can think. All the things you can think if you're willing to try. Think invisible ink, or a kink with a stink, or a stare to the sky. If you open your mind, all the things you will find lining up to get loose. All the things you can think when you think about Sue. Susical, susical. Whichever way you say it, it has to be the muse. I, th- I like Susical the Musical. <laughs> yeah, the soft S. Yeah. I actually really enjoy people call it musical theater. Musical? <laughs> musical, like mucosal. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something that uh, cures your sore throat. Yeah, mucosal theater is something very different. <laughs> um, tell us all about it. Susical the Musical. Susical the... See, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Su- but also, isn't it Zeus? It would be Zeus in in the native 
German, maybe. Well, I think I've heard even in the native German, it's like Zeus. Yeah. So let's yeah, not but go there. Certainly Americanized. It is Seuss. It's just... Seussical tried out in Boston in the year 2000 and then moved to Broadway later that year where uh, it was not well received, um, no. which hashtag we'll get to it. Uh, it closed in 2001 after only 198 performances. Yes, indeed. So it has music by Stephen Flaherty and lyrics by Lynn Ahrens. Um just after Ragtime, uh, and both of them came together and decided that they could do the book. Yes. <laughs> That's how I'm going to phrase that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Susical is... I, I had a friend describe it to me before I knew what it was. He said, it's like Into the Woods, but with Dr. Seuss characters. <laughs> and I don't know if that description is demeaning to Into the Woods or a little too generous to Susical. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a bit of both. But there's there's some accuracy there. I understand what they mean. It's sprawling. Yes, it is certainly sprawling. Um, it takes a, a good 15 or so Dr. Seuss books and shakes them all up and puts them together uh, in one kind of epic tale. Yeah. Um, it's vaguely centered around Horton, uh, the elephant, uh, as he both hears a who and sits on an egg. Um, yep. And then we also have... We got a bunch of protagonists, but Horton and then Jojo the Kid, um, who is kind of the personification of childhood, um, maybe. Oh, we could try to analyze already. I know. Um, <laughs> is uh, a resident of Whoville and yeah. plays a pretty leading role in the story. Um, and the whole thing is uh, narrated, spurred on by, and interrupted by the cat in the hat. Because of course. what would a Dr. Seuss story be without a bunch of cat in the hat everywhere? Exactly. So, in some ways, it does it successfully, but on paper, it did not. It did Shall not. Shall we work out why? Let's dive in. On the 15th of May. In the jungle of Newell, in the heat of the day, in the cool of the pool, he was splashing, enjoying the jungle's great joys. When Horton the Elephant, Horton the Elephant, Horton the Elephant, heard a small noise. To McElligot's pool. (laughs) That's a reference. Uh, do you know what I'm going to say? First off, first segue of the... Not segue. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, like uh, divergence. Uh, sure. Tangent. Tangent. That's it. Mute had a G. Um, <clears throat> first tangent of the day. Um, I don't really know much about Dr. Seuss. Really? I know a lot yes. about Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yes. Um, because you are American and I am British. And we, we will talk about this classic, get it on the t-shirt, uh, in a little bit. Um, but I just want to get that out now if it sounds like I'm really clueless about like the intricacies of all of these like <laughs> characters. Like my knowledge of Dr. Zeus comes from Seussical. The Simpsons. Oh. Not the Simpsons this time. <laughs> Although there is a couple of references at various sure. points. But not the Simpsons. The actual musical itself. Yeah, um, that's fair. Which is fascinating. So just as a disclaimer about my Ab- British ignorance. Absolutely. But on the on the synopsis, like it is a laundry list of Susian characters um some pivotal to the plot and some like oh yeah the grinch 
Yeah, exactly. Right. He needs to come in somewhere. Let's yeah. make it Christmas at one point. <laughs> I'm here. I'm the Grinch. Goodbye. Yes. The end. <laughs> A beautiful number. Um, yeah. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Oh, man. Um, so Susical um, basically started uh, in many ways as a response to ragtime. <laughs> 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 Which is a weird thing to say, but that's quite true. Yeah. So um, if you've listened to a Ragtime podcast, if not, go back and do that. Because um, we talk a bit about uh, the producer of uh, Ragtime, Garth Drabinsky, uh, who met much controversy later on. Yes. Um, he basically acquired the rights to do Zeus on stage. Yes. Right? Yeah, basically. Um, um, and obviously having just worked with Irons and Flaherty was like, you guys can take a book and make it magical. Yes. Uh, let's do it with these. But and So that's how it kind of began. That was its inception. And it, so it had some uh, workshops in Toronto um, under yes. his auspices. Um, but eventually... and you know mired in theater history who knows how exactly it went down he no longer was producing or his company and instead it was picked up by barry and fran are they weisler weisler yeah uh barry and fran weisler um who uh are notorious for a couple pretty specific producing tricks um their uh biggest success is the currently still running revival of chicago um, mm-hmm. But they were one of the first people on Broadway to kind of pioneer the current trend of uh, stunt casting. Yes. Um, more on that story <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, I, one of the things that I find mo- most interesting is is right at the start, when they were still writing it, mm-hmm. um, the involvement of Eric Idle yes. um, from Monty Python. Yes. Uh, so he basically was brought in... Uh, as kind of like a co-conceiver, I think was what mm-hmm. he was um, labeled as, and basically wanted to work with Aaron's and Flaherty to uh, write the book and make it into this really cool thing because he had all these great ideas about how they can make it this huge kind of comedy spectacle full of like slapstick and mm-hmm. um, zane zania, yeah, uh, which I don't think is a word. But should it, be? It's a it's a Dr. Seuss musical. You can make up a word. Yeah, I'm going to make up words. Zania. That's a great word. <laughs> um, and they were like, no, it's okay. We've got this. Yeah. Um, we'll do the book. And I don't know why they did that. Yeah. Tommy? I, I wonder... <laughs> I wonder so much about the inception of the show. So mm. it had it. It had its Toronto workshops. Um, then it had an out of town tryout in Boston. That yep. By the sound of it, was not great. Um, there is. We'll put a link in the show notes. There's an opening night. I think it's a Broadway.com interview. Something mm-hmm. of that ilk. Um, of all the creative team on opening night on Broadway, and yeah. every single one of them. There's like, you can hear in the back of their voice, like, man, it's been a long journey and we got there. It's like excuses, 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 excuses. Because to be honest, by that point, by Broadway, so much had already gone on. Yeah. Because there was like, there was a lot of hype right at the start because 
um, in Toronto, mm-hmm. people thought it was amazing because it was really this kind of like scaled down, quirky piece that was just a bit peculiar. Yeah. Um, but took these beloved books and put them on a stage in, in a, a way that really worked. Right. But by Broadway, they'd scrapped the entire creative team. Yeah. They were all gone. Designer, director, everyone was gone. Mm-hmm. And they changed it for Broadway. And basically they broadway fied it totally in many ways Became... um, i saw one quote mm-hmm. uh that was saying that they wanted to make you know the next fantastics in mm. terms of scale fascinating and then you look at what it beca- became <sighs> yeah and it's like wow you yeah. did not if you've never seen uh clips of the original broadway there's plenty of press clips you can look up and stuff mm. it is it is fascinating to see because i think a lot of people's exposure to this is probably amdram in high school um, yeah to see how big and flashy some of this is uh, isn't a sense you quite get just from the cast recording. Not at all. And also remembering that it's still, in terms of like technical Broadway, yeah. it's still quite early days. Yeah. There's not a lot you know? of, you know, we can like fly people in maybe, we can do some stuff, but there's no magic. There's nothing that's terribly baffling, but they're doing the best they can. You know, you this really, is really did. the pre-confetti cannons era of Broadway. Um, and then it closed. <laughs> and then it closed very, very quickly. Six not with, months. Not without some some death rattles. Um, as we mentioned, stunt casting, they, uh, uh, Rosie yeah. O'Donnell and Kathy Rigby had some turns as the cat. Um, and my favorite, uh, not my like favorite, ironically, <laughs> uh, Aaron Carter, young Aaron Carter has a turn as JoJo. Um and like sings the whole thing like a boy band singer from the early 2000s yeah it's it's terrible um and it again did. though weird comparisons between the fantastics sure and yeah musical again aaron carter well and all he was such a broadway prodigy all all things considered the stunt casting did help float the musical for a little bit um yeah to um you know the producer's credit it it worked a little bit, um, a little bit. I get, but I, in the way that because, as far as I'm aware, it hadn't been uh, kind of shoehorned, or certainly not as kind of desperately, yeah, um, as the White Slaves did it, uh, because it was so reactionary. So like yeah. um, David Shiner, who played the original Cat in the Hat, mm-hmm. um, kind of met uh, lukewarm reviews at the start at opening, yeah. Um, and obviously being the cat in the hat had to be iconic, I guess. Um, so very quickly, he was asked to take a four-week vacation so they could put in Rosie O'Donnell. Mm. Um, and then the Weislers kind of shut down their communication with the cast. Yeah. And uh, so much rumor mill started happening. Um, and then David Shiner found out that he was basically being replaced by reading the news. Ugh. Which is disgusting. That's so terrible. But, you know, yeah. they, I mean, producers are producers. They producers have, are producers. They have a bottom line to fulfill. But it is fascinating that a lot of the origins of this show seem to be so much informed by the business of Broadway and yeah. not like someone who's like, we must tell Dr. Seuss's stories. Like, we're so far from that now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're so far away from oh, what would be a great way to put these stories on a stage? Do you know what I mean? Right. It's um, it's much more, how are we going to sell Cat in the Hat plushies? Basically. basically um, and it's interesting, just kind of like historically, mm-hmm. uh, we 
are at a really interesting place on Broadway. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like the the lead up to Wicked. Yeah. Uh, sure. Where everything changed. Um, and the internet is starting to creep in. Yeah. Well, we're, um, we're, I mean, we're coming out of like the dark times. We're coming out of um, exactly. Review Central. And yeah. we're kind of like Susical kind of ushers in this adaptation of Palooza on Broadway that we hadn't really seen before that I would wager yeah. even Wicked is a part of. Um, Wicked just happened totally. to, to burst the bubble on that, that like it can be successful of its own right. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, Susical was like, maybe mm, yeah i would wager this susica was one of the first like quote-unquote recognizable commodities of this era of broadway um that or certainly um was hyped to be yes yes do you know i mean the, the anticipation of the show was crazy because um we, we're so it's so commonplace now that we know that oh you know Dervin Hansen in Washington is going so well Ben Platt's amazing I can't wait for this to come to Broadway yeah you know same with Hamilton Hamilton's yeah. at the public it's doing it you know what I mean right. we are watching these shows before they're on Broadway we know how they're gonna do right um but at this point mm-hmm. we didn't the, you know the internet wasn't nearly sure the beast that it is yeah. at the moment yeah um and it, it shows that, like, there isn't, you know, I looked, there's not a lot. We get the sense that Broadway tryout or uh, uh, Boston tryouts didn't go well. Um, but we yeah. only we only get the sense, right? There's not, oh, I saw it in Boston and here's what I think about it on my blog, bostontryouts.blogspot.google or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, but regardless, like, the hype was there and people were saying, like, this is going to be huge. This is going to be huge. It's you know dr seuss is on in the nederlander they kind of like kicked out footloose in order to bring it in right um it's it's kind of mad the hype that was created mm-hmm. and then for it to kind of come out and people be like eh. yeah and like you know i think i think it it was it was a victim of being overhyped right yeah absolutely because it didn't like it certainly flopped financially and critically but mm-hmm. not because of like one glaring thing yeah, you know, there you don't read the 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 contemporary review or the contemporaneous reviews and be like, and this was the bad thing that we didn't like. It's just yeah. a general sense of like it was disorganized and just kind of meh, um, and not what I expected. Exactly, I think that's what it was because it, you know people had, had heard rumblings all the way back from Toronto, mm-hmm. and the, it was this really interesting. Uh, you know, all about imagination and inspiring, da da da, yeah. and it pops this really garish, yeah, bravado, yeah. Um, people were just a bit like, "Oh, is that okay? Interesting, yeah." Um, and it ended up, you know, becoming. I think this was like the Weisler's first time they'd ever, uh, not been able to recoup to their investors, which is, yeah insane but i don't know i'm still kind of i'm still kind of interested as to to why mm-hmm. because you know i i enjoy physical yeah I absolutely enjoy no, it absolutely there's plenty of other stuff i mean footloose for for example right. yeah um just before i enjoy that substantially less yeah no susical is fun susical has a heart to it susical has good music um yep. yeah it is interesting I th- I would wager I think it is tied to the show the original production got too businessy and mm-hmm. lost some of the core of the art of what we do. Yeah. Like lost sight of some of that. That certainly it was, al- <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I was gonna say it was almost like it was uh, too commercial too early. Yeah, you know, exactly. like if it was if this was now, yes, it probably would be totally It'd probably fine. be great. Yeah, no, because this, this is what we're used to. If you know? this if this came out across the street from Shrek, Susicle would still be playing. Like, yeah, man. Yeah, like it it was maybe before its time. I don't know, but it, not in a good way. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, not in a revolutionary kind of way. It just you know. Or maybe Susical like, was a start of it all. Like, s- maybe we've learned lessons from Susical in yeah. the producing scheme that has made things like, you know, Shrek and Frozen and Tarzan uh-huh. and, you know, some of these Disney-fied franchise well, musicals. Disney's the interesting one because, obviously, um, by this point, we had Lion King. Sure. Um, and Lion King was now becoming this just stalwart of Broadway where it's like, well, this is it. This is yeah, it. And yeah all of the shows were now having to kind of pull up their bootstraps because they were fighting against the mouse. Right. Um, now, on paper, Dr. Zeus, who is, you know, you've got Walt Disney and you've got Dr. Zeus and yeah. you've got America. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So on paper, that should be fine. Do you know what I mean? If there was ever going to be a, right. a, a, a an opposition yeah. to the Lion King, it, it, it would be that, but it just didn't happen. It just didn't um, tick those boxes. And you it wonder really you wonder if maybe they bit off more than they could chew. You wonder if um you know, like the the Grinch still does well on Broadway every December. Um, like maybe the massive multiplayer nature of it was its downfall, that it was just so disjointed that yep. it was, you know, difficult to follow or something. Yeah. Um, I think uh I think kind of looking at the book is an interesting yes. point because that's um, if you if you ever read anything from Eric Idle, uh, after it closed, mm. um, that's where he blames it. He says that, well, I mean, he says he should have written it. Sure, sure. of course. But he says that um, that's where the the main issues lie. Um, and I can kind of get it. Yeah, it, it it's so sprawling. It's so sprawling. I mean, we're you know, I was re-listening it to it today, and you know. Uh, Gertrude, who is perhaps secondary protagonist in a show, she's your she's your female lead in many ways. Right, we don't get Gertrude's "I Want" song till <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen songs into Act One. Yep. Um, like, and it, because there's so much stuff we gotta get out of the way beforehand. Yeah. I, I think the thing that is difficult about it and why it doesn't work so well in the plot of this one is that it doesn't. It is an epic journey. It's not like Into the Woods, where in the end we all end up together and this becomes one story that we've been weaving together. And you see yes. that revelation. It's just a bunch of separate stories that we've pulled tenuous relationships between. Exactly. Um, and that kind of, because like, you know, where are the Wickersham brothers yeah. in, in act two? Do you know what I mean? Nobody, right. nobody knows, but they're a significant part of the first. Oh, God. Like the, what's the name of the vulture? Uh, uh, Vlad Volodikov. Right. Yeah. Who the hell is he? Or here, let's talk about General Genghis Khan Schmidt, who right. has a whole song to himself in act one. And in act two is like, eh, war's bad. Um, right. It's. <laughs> Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Um, like, it, it's just kind of really basic it, stuff here. I would it, s- I, I would say, I would challenge it's not good. 
I think there is something it has found success in. I don't. I know, it's, it's, sorry, it's not good book writing. Yes, that's what I say. It is not an epitome of solid, well thought out book writing. This book it's, was an accident. It's throwing stuff at a wall and, and seeing what sticks. And, and drawing red yarn lines between it and pointing at it and going, Carol! Yes. Is that that reference again? There you go. I did it twice. Well done, yeah. Um, yeah, that it's it, it just. It, but the thing is, is it's like you don't, you don't. When you're watching it, you don't really hate it. You're not like, like you. Sometimes you don't necessarily follow it, right? But you're having a good time. Yeah, yeah, and you relate to the characters, and it's not difficult to follow per se. It's not confusing. Um, it is. It's not confusing <laughs> like Ghost Quartet is confusing. Right. It's not confusing it, yes, it's not even cerebral. in the way even in the way that I would say Into the Woods is a little confusing. Um, um yeah, I guess. But it's like just like time yeah. is a isn't really a factor. Sure. Um and obviously things like science it isn't really a factor, but that's fair because it's a, an imaginary it's a world. world. But even then, and like this is an addition in a later version, but like there's a framing device that this is a story that the cat's telling to a kid, but right. then the kid is Jojo, but we don't really explore that framing device beyond that. No, it's that's a shame actually, because like that uh, idea of it being just a bunch of kids, like a kid's idea yeah. actually kind of works because it's that kind of uh, sort of, ADD, my mind is sprawling totally. all over the place. Oh, the things you can uh, think. Here's a new idea. Oh, this, let's go here now. Let's right. go there. You know, yeah. I've got the whole Doctor's Zeus collection in front of me and I'm just picking out books. It's that kind of right. vibe. Yeah. And I will say like the, it's, so I was in the show in a community theater junior year of high school. Um, yeah. And the published version at the time the measure numbers, it, by the way you look, and I couldn't find my uh, uh, libretto today, which sucks, uh-huh. um, but I think it's at home. Um, right. But the measure numbers, they kept consistent through versions. And so if they ever added measure numbers, it would be like measure 117A and B and C and all the way to X. Yeah. Um, and like, it was interesting then to see, you could get a sense of like things that were added and revised and like later in the writing process. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the stuff that was added and revised were some of the things around, Oh, the things you can think and you know, the framing device of Jojo and like this becoming this sort of thing. Um, Yeah. And I think they were finally starting to pursue that. Maybe if they had taken another year off to, you know, (sighs) rip it all up and start over again they would have gotten there a little better i know or i i don't know maybe just kind of accepted the help mm-hmm. dare fair. i say it That's sorry irons and flaherty and this one most of all you know ragtime is one book once on this island is one story like this is a new story you've created yeah in a sense um and to do it alone one of the things that i wonder mm-hmm. is um, this is complete conjecture. Sure. But I wonder if like Lynn Aarons was like, I'm not gonna have much to do because we're really just using most of the stuff yeah. as a direct steal from the book. So yeah. I wanna legitimize my paycheck. And so I'm gonna give myself a book credit. Sure. Perhaps. Is that bad? Is that bad to say? I don't know. Well, I also wonder with how much uh, uh turmoil this went through between workshop and production, like Mm. who knows what happened there who knows you know how much of the book was eric idol there's talk about um 
there's like a whole section about the Lorax um, that, yeah. that MTI now licenses as a like separate it's like a little mini thing mini yeah. piece that must have been good enough but just didn't fit. Um, yeah, and like it's it's the Lorax. The Lorax is you know core Seuss. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, here let's shall we? Let's quiz Jimmy and see how much he knows about Doctor Seuss. They all call me a lunatic. Okay, call me a lunatic. If I stand on my own, so be it. Cause I have wings. Yes, I can fly around the moon and far beyond the sky. And one day soon, I know there you'll be one small voice in the universe, one true friend in the universe who believes in Nobody knows that I have wings. I have wings. And I can fly. I can Around the moon and far beyond the sky. Well, someday soon you will hear my plea. One small voice in the universe. One true friend in the universe. Please believe in me. Okay, so I know the Lorax is the little orange hairy guy. There you go. Kind of looks like Danny DeVito. Sure. What is? He reminds me of. There's a character in the Moomins. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know. Is that a, is that a British thing? No, it's Swedish or ah. Nordic. <laughs> I think it's Swedish. Yeah. Apologies or Finnish. It's Finnish. All right. It's finished. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what is the Lorax? Do you love the Moomins? No. They love the laughter and they love the living, the Moomins. Believing <laughs> and sharing and caring and giving the Moomins. They're always happy and always at play. It just the Moomins like, are having fun day after day. The sounds Moomins. like you've been possessed by... So- See, I can do... I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. I, you know, I could have done that before this musical. Um, right. So I could not. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, Cat in the Hat was... You know, these were my children's books. Like... I yeah. had Cat in the Hat as a five-year-old. Um, right. And that was... Um, so, Dr. Seuss, who is great and also, like, a lot of these, uh, you know, sometimes uh, uh, revered figures has also had some not-so-great things come out about him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the parts we like about him, he uh, revolutionized children books, right? children's book writing in America. Um, before Seuss... A lot of children's books were very didactic. They were very like uh, the the traditional ones were see spot run. Um, it'd be like this is spot see spot see spot run spot runs fast. Um, oh, and like teaching words by repetition of words over and over again. And right, Doctor Seuss was like 
you know, basically, fuck that. Um, yeah. Let kids are smart. Kids deserve something interesting. Um, the uh, Green Eggs and Ham was written as a challenge to see if he could write something with a very limited set of words. Um, okay, that's fun. That's why it's written the way it is. Um, you know, and so he a lot of his eventual children's book authorship came from this motivation to write smart literature for kids. Mm. Um, some of it before before he was a children's book writer, he was a um, uh, uh, political cartoonist. Um, oh, okay. So does you know, he do his own illustrations? He does do his own illustrations. So oh, I, fantastic! Everything you've seen was drawn by Dr. Seuss. Um, Brilliant. So Yertle the turtle um, is actually a character he created in uh, his old political cartoons, and Yertle the turtle is Hitler. Um, oh, good. And the entire book is an allegory. Um, wow. About like okay. I'll I'll stack up the turtles and stand on the back of you know all these turtles and stack as high as I can and increase oh. the size of my kingdom and all it takes is one turtle at the bottom to be like no 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 and then the the whole thing will fall over. Yeah, um, of course. So the Lorax um, is a uh, I think a very un uh, unhidden. Uh, metaphor for saving the trees. Um, oh, okay. There were a particular kind of tree that Dr. Seuss saw in, I think, California where he lived that they were yeah. cutting down. And like he got so sad that he drew out the sketch for the Lorax and the Truffula trees on the back of a napkin. Um, wow. There's a book called The Butter Battle Book, um, which is... Which is in the musical. Which is in the musical briefly. That's- that's the war. General Genghis Khan, yes. whatever he's called. The the butter battle is a... I forget who's battling. Um, I forget their names, but one faction butters their bread butter side up, and the other faction yep. butters their bread butter side down, and so they're at war. Um, and it's a it's an allegory for the Cold War. The whole thing ends in, like, they've created these two world-destroying destri- weapons, and there's the wow. two army people are standing on the other side of the wall, and who's going to drop it first? Um like all of his stuff, um, especially some of his less kids stuff, um, yeah. has some deep political motivations. Uh, there's a lesser known book, which is not in the musical, but it's called Marvin K. Mooney. Will you please go now? Um, right. And I believe it's about Nixon. Um, <laughs> and like, he's got to get out of it. Get out of here. We got to get rid of him. Um, so there is certainly an wow. undercurrent to all of this stuff. And then all the other themes you see in the musical, like the embracing of the human spirit, mm-hmm. you know, creativity and imagination, especially that childlike spirit. Like you can travel to amazing places on your own in your mind. Yeah. Um, and so you do see a lot of, you know, whimsical childlike imagination themes throughout a lot of his books. Um, but you also like, uh, do you know the Sneeches, who I don't think feature in the no. musical? Um, the the Sneeches are uh, an allegory for the Holocaust. They wow. get they get stars put on them, and in in the in the fiction, it actually makes them quote unquote better. Um, but it's just you know, it's an allegory about how like we don't need you know we're all the same deep down inside. Yeah. So like there are some deep deep cuts to. Seuss's fiction, which is fascinating because not a lot of them are surfaced in this musical. <laughs> no, no, they really aren't. Um, that's really interesting because, because obviously, like the, the the chief comparison that I always make is Roald Dahl. Sure. Um, 
because in a, a very similar way yeah i don't know if their timelines match up or whatever mm-hmm. but um roldal was the same he wanted to write kind of grown-up books for kids yeah and are still very much the lexicon of, of children's reading absolutely um and but i would say are more for <clears throat> are more focused on the problems of children yeah you know, and like, uh, like they play on children's fears yes. and things like that and making them go away. Right. Uh, or, you know, telling you that you can stand up for yourself or that you can be strong. Yeah. That does that seem, kind of thing. It's a very, it strikes me as a very British American comparison. Because I think mm. in, they, they are contemporaries. Um, Dahl was alive 1916 to 1990, and Seuss was right. alive uh, 1904 to 1991. Wow, um, I wonder if they knew each other. I, I mean, wonder this if they... 100% people will have spoken about this Absolutely. and there'll be pieces and things but, like, on it. But... It is fascinating to me that Dahl's morals are um, very much around, like, here are the terrible things that might happen to you, but don't worry, it'll be fine. Um, yeah. Whereas Seuss's stuff is like, it's the cat in the hat. Uh, you know, the two kids are bored on this day. Gosh, if only something exciting would happen and the cat shows up and causes terrible mischief around them. Right. Um, that's very, you know, British versus versus American. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's... it's it, it, the, the fact that it doesn't... Like, these things don't come into musical. Again, I wonder if that's a book issue. You sure. know, because yeah. they just don't spend enough time yeah. on these stories. So really all you've got in the musical is imagination. Right. Because that's the kind of thing that ties all of his books together. Right. Yeah. And you don't have a lot like the, the themes they explore deepest are with the characters we see the most. Um, yeah. You know, Horton's, um, you know, uh, an elephant's faithful 100 um, percent. You know, like we, we explore that theme, which is the theme of. I would say both Horton Hears a Who and Horton Sits on the Egg, Sat on an Egg, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so we have more time to explore some of that. But then a lot of it just, it like, it makes me wonder, like, can we just cut so many of the extraneous characters? <laughs> you know, hack and slash that thing to bits. Make it Horton Hears a Who, the musical. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, they made a film, didn't they? Like They did make recently? a film, which is basically the core plot of Susicle. Um, it's a 3D animated film. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, but it's just the story. It's not... It's just the story. There's no songs. Um, okay. You know, it is only... It, they are both adapted from the same literature, but I would say yeah. they don't share a lot in common. Like, The Cat in the Hat's not in it. Um, cool. Okay. You know, that sort of stuff. Because I think, I think that's where the issue is, because, like, Horton makes great sense to be a protagonist. Yeah. Um, and same with Gertrude as well. Mm-hmm. Uh but because it's Dr. Zeus, you need the cat in the hat. <laughs> right. Well, but it's almost like like this is the mistake they made. If, yeah. If Disney was like, oh, we're doing The Lion King, but we're Disney. Aren't people going to want to see Mickey Mouse? Is there a way we can yes, get Mickey well Mouse done. into this thing? Um, and like that's the choice they made with Dr. Zeus. And I think that is true. I think people want to see the cat in the hat in Dr. Seuss because he is so emblematic of you know just the seuss brand yeah um like there you know that's the catch 22 of the thing but then i don't know if you did just if you just had him at the start as it kind of is now yeah where it's like the hat on the stage and he pulls out the show right and then you never see him again yeah i think that would be fine i 
the way the show is structured, I think the show would just be kind of boring. Do you think? Yeah. Well, show. Let's. Can we talk about the characters? Yeah. Okay. High on a mountain or lost on the sea. Sooner or later, I'll find it. I have a picture of how it will be on the day I do. Troubles will be through, and I'll be home with you. Sala salu, sala salu, sala salu, sala salu, sala salu. Talk to me about the cat because, what? like, I hate him. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, I think hate's a strong word, but I don't get it. Yeah, it's it, yeah. The Mickey Mouse comparison is a good one to put in your brain. Um, uh huh. I think also the cat has an interesting and exciting personality. Um, you know, this is. Like, the cat is mischievous, the cat is fun, the cat is imaginary. Um, the cat is the thing that gets you in trouble as a kid, right? The cat yeah. is the mischief you got into, but that is this extra part of your brain that you can't, that doesn't feel like you. The monkey, yeah. which is the actual psychological term. Sure, yeah, that, like, lives in the back of your brain. I mean, in the yeah. in the book, The Cat in the Hat... Uh, halfway through, he brings in Thing One and Thing Two, who cause even just more mischief. And they're like, they these, have blue hair. They have. There you go. You know something about them. <laughs> right. Um, where like the cat is such an active character in the show and does nothing of importance or very little of importance. Like yes, he arrives to be a comedy moment. He arrives to do an impression of something or to sell a one-liner or to have an improv yeah. moment with the audience. Whereas our like tried and true protagonist, Horton, is the most passive sack of an elephant you've ever seen. The whole show happens to him. Yeah. But then, so I wonder if like, this is me going crazy, mm-hmm. but... Right, because I honestly find the cat in the hat bits tedious. Sure. Um, and it might just be because I haven't grown up with the cat in the hat, so I don't. Yeah. I don't. It, I don't feel like, oh, you're my childhood coming on stage. Ha ha ha. You know what I mean? It's not right. like a clown yeah. coming on and being like, yeah, it's the clown. Um, for me, it's just like you're distracting from the action. Let yeah. me get back to the story. I mean, um, literally in the first, how lucky you are as the clover is falling, he like snaps yeah. his fingers and the clovers pauses in midair so he can sing, you know, Hey, life could be better or worse. Yeah. And I get the humor there, but it's frustrating. <laughs> sure. I mean, um, but I wonder, so to do with like Horton and his passive specificity. Sure. Um, I wonder 
like because if you think of something again like Pippin yeah <laughs> keep bringing up Pippin as a comparison <laughs> weirdly brought it in as a comparison to Fantastics yeah what's going on there I um, think you just want to do Pippin I think I just want to do Pippin always uh, <laughs> but again there's another character where things happen to him yes you know what I mean he's kind of led down a path yeah admittedly he's led Horton isn't necessarily led and, and Pippin has some agency in his story he is deciding this isn't for me that isn't for me I want to try this yes, he has I guess, some decision like, moments Horton doesn't Horton, make any decisions in this show well, he doesn't, but he's got, like, his moral compass. Sure. Which he sticks to. Yeah, but he spends Act 2 sitting. He literally he spends pretty much all of Act 2 sitting on a tree. Sitting, yeah. Physically sitting. Like, how much more sedentary can you get? But that's because an elephant's faithful. Right. 100%. What is it? Whatever. What, what's an the... elephant's faithful 100%. That's oh, amazing is that the phrase, to me. 100%? Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, that I just don't know. This. Right. That, that, like, you know, that might as well be tattooed on my, my arm. Lexicon. Um, yeah, but you don't know SEO trot, SEO trot, tag rebeg, tag rebeg. Did you shimmy shimmy cocoa pop? Are we going to do like exactly. a. Exactly. Whereas <laughs> that's my lexicon. Anyway. Um, yeah, but, it's okay. Fair. But, uh, you know, that's that's just. Him, but maybe uh-huh. if the cat in the hat was like snipped out, there'd right. be more room for Horton to do things. Sure, I just don't, he could, I don't know he what do else. It? I don't know what else he do. He certainly couldn't do it. That doesn't make sense for his character. Right. Okay. Um, you know, he he is protective to a fault. Whereas the cat yeah. cat is you know the cat is the trickster god. Right. The cat yeah, is the one uh-huh. who appears and is like, ha ha, your day was going well, but now I'm here. Um, but see, wouldn't that be interesting, yes. right? If you were taking your monomyth structure yeah. and applying that to Susical, turn it around, make yeah. the cat the antagonist. I wish, well, and that's that's the thing. And like, this is the problem. I think this is the problem with a lot of fictionalizations of the cat in the hat. I don't know. Yeah. You, you haven't watched the Mike Myers movie, have you? I've seen lots of it, Ugh. mostly in GIF form. Right, it is. It's not great. Um, yeah. But like, it, you know, is the cat chaotic good? chaotic neutral Mm -hmm. chaotic evil and no one can really decide um i do think the show would be better off if the cat was more i think this is a thing you can even do in the current structure of the show Mm -hmm. make the cat the one that is pulling the rug out from underneath people Um, yeah and it is it's something that actually got a little lost um so a day with the cat in the hat is the is a a number that was notoriously cut from the published version um and is supposed to be like that is the cat in the hat story um that's like the book the cat in the hat and its place Uh in the musical the cat shows up causes mischief in your house leaves and you get in trouble for it um and that's what gets jojo in trouble basically um and like and I see why they cut it because they this show is too long, um, and they need mm-hmm. to focus on JoJo more than they need to focus on the cat. Um, mm-hmm. But if the cat was more of a trickster god, like even in um, Act Two, like you're having a hunch, um, which is you know we're we're getting up to the climax of the show, um, and it's this spooky well tap dance number, um, <laughs> but like if the cat was more causing the trauma and causing the spooky, like there's some scary Dr. Seuss out there. And if they leaned into that a little more, um, it would do a lot to help the show. And I think it's the sort of thing 
you know, you got the script of this thing. The whole thing's written. Every other line's like, yeah, and then the cat, you know, does whatever. Um, Like, you could do that. You could make the cat a little more mean with this show. I I think think so. Like, almost like a kind of leading player kind of character, you know? Yeah. I think that would be quite interesting because actually, you know, to, to pull back to the comparison against Roald Dahl, yeah. um, like Roald Dahl is never afraid to go into the scary. Oh, sure. You know I mean? All of his books are filled with, yeah, talk with of, really dark, talk dark about stuff. The, the witches talk about how, Oh like, my God, the witches, all these children oh. basically die in Willy Wonka. Um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, you know, it's dark dark stuff yeah. and he's always there yeah. with and it that's the thing is i would say talking about the dr seuss brand yeah is that dr S- there's a special um that you should absolutely watch october is coming up you would love it um it's right? called halloween is grinch night um cool it's one of a few animated specials that dr seuss actually worked on um, oh wow and so like had you know approved the whole dang thing um it's not a book it only exists as like a 20 minute or so television special um, right centered around the grinch but on a vaguely halloween themed thing um okay the whole thing is filled with like i had nightmares about this television special as a child it wow. is scary um is it like Nightmare Before Christmas? Because I just feel like they're mashing up yeah, Christmas and it, Halloween together. It, it is. It has. A, uh, I, w- I wonder how much of Tim Burton's style is inspired by Seuss's style. Um, oh, tremendously. The, I would say the eclecticism. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of the absurd, but also like um, totally barren seeming ridiculous lands Mm. um and like there you know if you dive deep into some of seuss's books like there's some imagery in all the places you'll go um and in sala salu and a couple other Uh places that's just scary that's just kind of spooky scary um and that other than having a hunch which is a light-hearted tap dance number Uh um nothing scary in seussical you know nothing's nothing's really that dangerous Um, (laughs) it's not because even like point to the villains yeah the sour kangaroo no like they all no, have, not really they all have redeeming like, qualities or are just kind of bland the wickersham yeah. brothers are just you know mischievous kids exactly that what was the vulture again vlad vlad the impaler. vlad the impaler the vulture yeah um, yeah but even he's like, probably the most evil right yeah sure but <laughs> he's he, in it for a second a second um and like so. even the most you know, maybe the second most dangerous moment when the clover's falling is paused mm. in real time so the cat can sing like, hey, but, you know, it could be worse. Um, and yeah, like, exactly. At the end, you know, the people versus Horton the elephant certainly is dramatic, but we've set you up. You don't think for a second that they're just going to kill all the who's. No, exactly. And it's it's too happy a number. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's too fun and dancey and jazzy right. a number yeah. for well, it to end in any sort of tragedy. Because that's the thing. is like It's not like there's all this fun and comedy right. that actually everything is ironic. Right. It's just fun, it's and, just fun. and comedy. Yeah. Well, and even they don't do a really good job. The Actually, the uh, movie does this better. Um, mm-hmm. In the movie version, Jojo is, you know, a stereotypical emo teen. Um, he, like, hides away in his secret hide out and like doesn't want to talk to his dad and like, okay and then 
the thing is a metaphor for him or a journey of him finding his voice. And so then at okay, the very yeah, end when he stands up and screams, he's the last one to make a noise and goes yop. And that's the thing that gets their attention. Yeah. Um, whereas in this one, Jojo's journey is like, he gets in trouble for thinking and gets sent to the military and then runs away and then saves everyone. Yeah. It's not a good through line of a journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, he doesn't like you never, you know, you never get to Jojo's character yeah. other than like, you know, he's kind of close to his family, but feels isolated. Sure. Like, yeah, that's really the depth that you will descend to when you're exploring Jojo. I quite like that kind of emo kid vibe. It works really a well. little bit older. I think you would like the the animated version. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Carol Burnett is the sour kangaroo, I believe. Um, brilliant so is the Sarah kangaroo in Horton Hears a Who I so one of the things I wanted to look up because I've thought this about the show like they must have made up some of these characters and the one I wanted to look up was General Genghis Khan Schmidt um, right yeah I was like there's no way he's a character he's, right, okay. he's in a Dr. Seuss book I don't but, think sorry they... but what I mean is um like because what I what I can't get a grasp on is like mm. who is meshed with who who belongs like, in what universe yeah yeah it's like Gertrude McFuzz is she the love interest of Horton she ooh I think Gertrude McFuzz if my memory serves Gertrude McFuzz has her own story with Maisie that would make sense and that's about where it ends okay I, whose uh, egg is it you know, maybe they are in the same story. It's been a while since I read Horton Sits because, on the Egg. Yeah, because the egg the egg one, because obviously in the musical, it's Maisie's. Right. I'm sure there are people on the other side of their uh, headphones screaming yeah, at just us like, right now. Yeah, which is fair. I, I did my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but... <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I guess this is where I, where I get confused because I'm like... There, there are obviously things like Yurtle the turtle, for example. Right, being the judge is just a, is just a throwaway. I th- is I, just I think to get in, him in. I think in the greater Seuss universe, perhaps Yurtle lives in the jungle of Newell. Um, yes, I, I don't think he's present. Um, so okay. I think yes. So Gertrude is a secondary story in the Yurtle the turtle book. Um, wow. Kind of, okay. Kind of implying all these things exist in the same world. Maisie is actually a character in Horton Hatches the Egg, as laying the egg and then abandoning it. Um, so, oh. And so is Maisie is also. Uh, I don't think Maisie. Is it Gertrude? I don't know. See, and these books are awful. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think she's in the original Gertrude. Fascinating. Story. Um, but their stories mix so well together right. because they do. Like Seuss has, there is that implication, and Doctor Seuss has this kind of like cabal of jungle characters, which is why they seem to fit so well together. And the Who's, as living on this tiny dust speck, exist both in Horton Hears a Who and in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, where, like, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is an entirely Who universe story. There's never any danger to them from outside sources in that. So, like, he does reuse some of these things, and it feels as if there's a sense of a greater Seussian universe. Um, Uh But not, you know, the cat in the hat doesn't live in the jungle of Newell. Um, Yeah. And so that 
but might seem closer to living in the more suburban setting of Whoville. Yeah. Which is why they put him with Jojo there. But the kids in the cat in the hat aren't who's? No, they're just kids. Like the cat okay. in the hat. The cat in the hat has a couple stories. There's a cat in the hat, there's the cat in the hat comes back. Um the cat in the hat also in like there's another animated special that Seuss oversaw that's just a retelling of a bunch of his stories. Yeah. Um that isn't none of them are the cat in the hat, but it is narrated by the cat in the hat. And so he did become this emblem for okay, so it, the Seuss came, stories. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think just because Doctor Seuss liked him, um, even Fair in, enough. even in the subject of our uh, quiz question, which is a documentary called In Search of Doctor Seuss. Of course, the whole thing is narrated by the Cat in the Hat, mm-hmm. um, who acts as this trickster god and leads Kathy and Jimmy playing a reporter on a weird and bizarre adventure. Like, yeah. that's, that's his mo. Um, but it it, it is. I I can see the temptation to want to tie all these things together. Like that's mm-hmm. real. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I think they, you know, they may have chosen poorly in the way they attempted to pursue it. Yeah, I mean, I guess you you do kind of have to commend them because it's it's no mean feat. Like you know, they always say like the Pixar universe is all connected. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you tried to do that, right, that would be really difficult. But. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. And it, there's still a story there. I mean, it's still not totally bizarre. You're it's just, right. It's just not as satisfying as it could be. I, I think, think that's it. Yeah, That's the problem. Like, they're something better to tie them all together. Um, you know, or if, like, if JoJo or the kid is a separate character who at the end, like, you know, the who's are about to be boiled and like all these things are going wrong. And the character is like, wait, I think I have an idea. And then the kid starts creating the story in that moment, like kind of big fish style. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 Like that, you know, diving into that framing might fix it a little better. Um, You know, or, or it is interesting. I think a lot like into the woods, a lot of different uh, uh, productions have different ideas as to how book, centric these are like physically like Mm -hmm. do all the characters come out of books or are we simply representing these worlds like where does the physical metaphor end um yeah and that indecisiveness points to me towards some sloppy fiction creation yeah but it's hard it's hard when you have you know can you this is a thought I had in the car ride today. Can mm-hmm. you imagine if there was a musical called like What the Dickens that was all of Charles Dickens's characters thrown together into one big menagerie of a musical? Well, so see, this is the thing though. It's not that. Susical isn't that. Sure. Because that would be Into the Woods. That, sure. And that yeah. might be okay. But yeah. what Susical is, is I'm trying to tell 20 stories at once. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> It does, if and that's where it's, it's tricky. If Susical em- either embraced the meta more or less. Yeah. Like was more yeah. about like, whoa, we're in the wrong story. Or was less about, ha ha, we can just snap our fingers and I'm the cat in the hat. And I'm Ex- in this, you know. 
yeah yeah it is it's, it's kind of like pick your battles yeah. I, I really think that because yeah it's not like subspace emissary style right um from smash brothers where it's like everyone coming together and this feels great because that always feels amazing that's like honestly one of my favorite things yeah. is when disparate characters are brought together right because <laughs> it's just like cool because you see how all these different people interact with each other right and that's a lot of fun but you know when you're trying to tell uh, Gertrude McFuzz's story in opposition to Horton the Elephant's story. Right. And mash that like it's it's grating because yeah. it's every every other song or transition seems shoehorned. Yeah. How do we get from A to B? Well we'd fly in our news chopper there, clearly, which is a thing that actually happens. Well there um, you go. I the bet show. you they don't have them in Dr. Seuss's books. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's the other thing that frustrates me about some of this is like they go and you know clearly I haven't reread all the books on the way but like there's one point where they go to Palm Beach in this which is right. a, a real place um but also they go to Whoville and the Jungle of Newell like there's not a good you know I get that the cat in the hat is the genie that he can pull some of these contemporary out of time references uh-huh. but you you got it you have to draw some borders around your magic you have to you know put some limits on this stuff and they don't do a good job of that um especially centered around the cat in the hat like when he starts hosting a talk show um you know our topic today is you know psychic elephants who hear voices like funny Mm -hmm. sure not in world and also not something the cat does in the books exactly Um, you know he can be creative and bonkers in this universe yep maybe who knows no irons and flower tea. Oh, no, no they did great. It's fine. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. I know. It's weird. <laughs> it's just enjoyable. Yeah. It is, I will say, a show that I enjoy and that is one, like, as a... Uh, working in positions where Susical is absolutely something we might do every year. Um, uh uh-huh. It's something I don't particularly want to do from like a design creation standpoint. Yeah. Um, I don't find it very inspiring that way. However, it is one of my uh, uh, emergency productions. If there's going to be a tough year or the director gets fired or something. Uh We're going to do Susicle. We're going to do Susicle. Super easy pull all the costumes out of a trunk we can all wear shirts that say susical the musical on them you know the the tree is a ladder like it's sue and it's done and it's gonna sell well people will come see it and people will love it damn right coming to you this fall (laughs) (laughs) well should we toy school do people should we let's talk about amdram productions of susical why don't we yeah i think we absolutely should Your Honor, this clover is Exhibit A. 
there who's here? There are who's here smaller than the eye can see. Biggest man who in the jungle of blue. It's true, sir. Here's who's who, sir. He's a who and so is she. Biggest man who in the jungle of blue. Okay, so d- d- that was good. Come on, that was good. Do people do Susical in the UK? Yes. <laughs> okay. I've seen two different productions. All right, all right. I could probably uh, throw throw a rock and hit a production of Susical in yeah. Denver right now. Yeah. Um, it's it is really really popular. Um, but mostly again just for the reasons you listed. Yeah. What. Well, I would say it does, and I, I'm out of my lane here, but it does kind of fit that, like, panto feel and oh, appeal. Family-friendly, you know, a protagonist that addresses the audience, room for improv, yeah. you know. Actually, oh, I... We to- like, we totally get it. And that's the thing is, like, all of the issues that I just talked about right. can be excused if you, put it, if you frame it like a panto. If you frame it like a panto, exactly. And I, I wonder, that's fascinating. Mm. Maybe you should have opened on the West End first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Um, no, it, because in the Cat in the Hat is a character you would totally get in a panto. Yeah. And it would be fine. Yeah. Because panto is so wishy-washy, which right. is a character in a panto. <laughs> Wait. Good. Um, yeah. So I've seen, yeah, I've seen two, I think two productions of it. Thoroughly enjoyed them both. Yeah. Um. And they were just nice and simple. Yeah. Did they? And it was like kids like, having fun. Yeah. I mean, that's you know that is the appeal of this. You've got your your Hoovians. You've got your jungle of Newlians. Yeah. Um, you've got a couple but big you roles. You can have four thousand birds if you want. You can have so that's many fine. people in this. Um, like it is a, a a hugely adaptable show. Everyone has their their star turn. There's a bunch of female roles. The cat can be played by a girl. Yeah. Um, Jojo. You know, Jojo can be a girl. You know, screw it. Horton could be. Um, like, there's not a lot of. Maybe we'll talk about it more. But like, you know, he's an elephant. He um, is an elephant. You're correct. Right. You, you could you know bend it all sorts of ways. Right. Um, like it is no <laughs> doubt trunk. this thing is popular. And certainly I think Susical has found its home is one of one of a, f- a few musicals that owes its contemporary place in hearts and minds not due to its original Broadway production. Yeah. But due to its uh amateur uh belovedness. Yeah, it's one of those and it is beloved. It's absolutely beloved. Um you know, people, it's, it's so strange to compare it to its Broadway life right. because people will happily go and see a production of Susical in a high school. Yeah. 
because it's so fun and yeah. a really nice evening. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas in Broadway, they balk at the idea. Yeah. So strange. And I think that's what stopped it from becoming like Aaron's and Flaherty's shame. Right. Is because it's had such an incredible life. Yeah. That there is afterwards. something there that's worthwhile. It's almost like mm. the, the, the budget limitations of amateur theater have improved this show. Yeah, but this, so this is exactly it. Um, they originally, back in Toronto, they had budget limitations. Sure. And in many ways, they were fine with that. And that was kind of the story they wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, I think, was it Eric Idle? It might have been the designer. Mm-hmm. Or it might have been Kevin Chamberlain. I can't remember. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. Anyway, someone talked about it being like, What's so great about the show is that you let your imagination tell the story. Right. And that's the the moral of the show. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, my God, that fits so well. Like, of course, have it sparse, you know, hold a tube and that can be whatever the hell you want it to be. You know what I mean? Sit in a block and that can be your egg. Yeah. And it's... And they do, it's interesting to look at the final production design because you can see bits and pieces that are informed by that. Like, yeah. you know, Horton wears basically street clothes. Um, yeah. The cat, as he's often done, is not a cat, but is wearing like a, a, a tuxedo like with tails. Like tails, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And a ridiculous hat. Um, but like, doesn't need to have whiskers, let's say. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, or a cat nose. Like, he can just be a personification. Because, like, you look at the cat in the hat in the books, he doesn't look like a cat anyway. Um, no. But, so... He looks to, like Sam from Green Eggs and Ham. Right, because Dr. Seuss I, only knows how to draw, like, six things. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I've never understood that. Anyway. <laughs> um, oh, also, just mm-hmm. a side note, I can do a really good who face. <laughs> this will be perfect for our audio-only uh, <laughs> uh, medium. I'll take a picture and I'll put it in the show notes. That's all <laughs> I've had a haircut recently, so I don't mind doing a selfie. Yeah. Can you? Um, what is, what does can it I look do it like? For you now? Yeah, um, do it. I'll describe it. Hang on. Stays in prep. All right, I'm excited. <laughs> it's it's pretty effective. It's pretty good, right? He looks he looks like a who. He looks like he's straight out of a uh, uh, the Jim Carrey uh, Holly Grinch Still Christmas movie. The big cheeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they go, I'll take that picture for you. Put that on, Enjoy. Put that on anyway, your resume. Sorry. Um. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like that's, you know, f- allowing your audience to fill in the blanks. They can become right. a part of the story because everyone's using their imagination yeah. and everything's delightful. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not, it's not a pantomime. Like that is the thing that I think makes it appealing. Mm. Like there are, there are messages to be had in this where I would wager mm. I'm not going for a pantomime for some... To, to walk out learning a moral, um, you know, unless it's uh, like... No, you're, you're very correct. The, the moral <laughs> is often just like, be happy and love Glasgow. Right. Like that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of the moral. Which there there is an undercurrent of, you know, be happy, life is good to this. But there are some, you know, deeper, not too deep, but somewhat deep themes in this do you think yes i would agree shall we discuss sure one pathetic feather was all i grew i had nothing show offish but a plain bird to do and there's certainly nothing show offish on you thank you Maisie. then i made a plan for myself improvement 
No more crumbs, I vowed. I would have the cake. Yes, I went to the doctor. Down to date by the lake. And he told me what sort of a pill I should take. Now... You want to talk about being gay and physical. <laughs> Do you want to know a secret? You're gay? Uh, well, yes, that. Not a secret. Uh, okay. You'll find this a more surprising secret. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know why I auditioned for Seussical as a community theater piece my sophomore year of high school? Oh. Well, uh, Tommy, uh-huh. I've told you my hand on my heart. I think it would be an incredible Horton. I think I should re-roll. Oh, that would be fantastic. I was not cast as Horton. I was cast as a swamp thing in the jungle of Newell. Um, <laughs> that iconic, iconic Dr. Seuss character, Swamp Thing. Swamp um, Thing. I think it was a reused costume or just extra fabric that they made a costume out of. Anyway. Oh, my God. Oh, was it that, like, um, green kind of sequency oh, yes. tool fabric? And, I, and I'm not saying that I'm bitter that I missed a phone call asking if I w- the the director called and asked if I would come back in and re-audition for the Wickersham brother, except she called the wrong number. And so then they double-cast Genghis Khan, Schmidt, and the third Wickersham. Not bitter. Um, oh, my no. God. Do I am... I hate them. I'm with you. <laughs> but do you know why I auditioned for this show? Why? Because my girlfriend was auditioning for this show. <gasps> Gasp. I know. My last girlfriend. We broke up during this show. The um, one that did changed it all. <laughs> well, doing no small part, I think, for the fact that I realized this was not a part of my life. Yes. Um, but it holds a part. Okay. You scoff at like gayness in this show but there is an undercurrent of the show that jojo is a kid misunderstood by the people around him uh-huh. who is sensitive and a thinker and the way to fix that is by putting him in the army a play you know the military is where a boy mm-hmm. becomes a man um and he runs away from that because his he wants to live in McGilligot's pool. He wants to be, you know, you know, he dreams of far off places where things are better. Like, I think that is one of the core positive things about this show is that whatever your difference is, for me it was gayness. But whatever yeah. makes yes. you the outcast is something you can read into Joe's <sighs> story. It is interesting, is that like often outcast stories are often like queer allegories. Sure. Um, I, I can yes okay what I'll give you is I'll give you that you can relate to it from that perspective <laughs> I would not say that it's a core theme I don't really even think it's hinted not that he's gay but that he the the idea of being different, different. and watching his parents accept his differentness yes that's a gay metaphor it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a simple one. Like it's not even complicated. No, you're not wrong. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess. Why not? Why not? <laughs> it's just as soft emotional sophomore me in high school. It spoke to me a lot. Um, yeah, 
But and did... hey, he, I actually find his relationship with Horton mm-hmm. quite interesting. Sure, yeah. Because it's a proper, it's not father-son. No. It's not brotherly. No. It's... It's not, it's not romantic. It's not... It's not romantic. It's just kind of, I don't know, like mentorly, but, but they it's help just, each other. I it's just know, kind it's just... of friendship across the universe. Yeah, um, which is, which is pretty inspiring. You don't see a lot of you know. It's like um, you don't see a lot of friendship across the universe. <laughs> you don't see a lot of friendship not bound by some other similarity. Um, you know, it's the it's mm. the it's the Marty McFly and Doc Brown. Um, mm. like why are they friends? Uh, who knows? It's a John Mulaney joke. Like, who knows how they met each other? Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, like yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I mean, obviously they bond because they're alone in the universe together, and they sure. And I think you know, some they of the vibe that, but I th- I think it's just an interesting dynamic that they have. Yeah, yeah. And I do wonder because that's actually you know of all the it seems kind of forced in the show, but of all the plot points is I believe lifted straight from the book. Um, right. That Horton has this you know mild relationship with JoJo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I'd be interested to to know from like an author perspective of why he chose this kid because obviously Horton Horton feels older he doesn't feel young right. he's not like a, a teen elephant yeah he just feels like an older man well I mean by the end of it he's a father so yeah um but it doesn't feel it's not creepy Do you know right. what I mean I don't think there's anything sordid yeah, yeah. there's something uh, really nice, nice about that yeah yeah and it is. You know, that I think is a a good thing that Dr. Seuss has done is like, I think a lot of times adults seem, adults assume kids have kids problems and yeah. kids assume adults have adult problems. Um, and we don't bond a lot about, yeah, we're, you know, we're all figuring this out as we go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is a really nice thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think is encompassed in some of the most beautiful, beautiful songs in the show. I think Alone oh, in the gosh. Universe and Sal Salu are standouts, gorgeous pieces of musical theater. And they're the, the Jojo Horton songs. Yeah. Um, and it is of the like two disparate worlds that we experience in the show, the deepest, most important connections we have to the point where like, I almost want to abandon act two. Like who cares about the egg? Um, yeah. Well, you who know. cares about the egg? Right, it's just appeared out of nowhere and ruined everything. Right, but it is. It has to. It's the act two complication. Um, you know, it, it, it need, <sighs> we needed to keep the story going. Unfortunately, there's many other things that could have gone wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, the the oh. clover gets bopped around or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, I guess the egg is a natural story. It's fine, but. Yeah, it's that's the thing is like it's it is a lovely relationship that they have. Yeah. But we never get to go deep with it. They never get to have conflict. No. Because there's just no time for it. And the resolution of the story is not like this is an interesting thing to me. Like their both of their uh, you know, modus operandi is that they are alone. They're loners. Uh-huh. No one else is out there for them. And at the end of the story, I mean, Horton kind of gets Gertrude to not be alone. Um, Jojo 
realizes that he has a family in that kind of teenage way. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not in a like big, you know, sound the trumpets kind of way. And, you know, there's also, a, I think, a thought in um, Alone in the Universe and A Bit in Salasalu that, like, it's okay to feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that this doesn't, you know, this can, like, loneliness is not the end of the world. Yeah. Which is an interesting moral. But then if that's, like, the sense you get from that song, it's not a conflict that then you can resolve later in the show. Like, you're not right. alone! Um, you know, and so it it feels... That is very complex to me. I agree. I wish they explored it more. I know, because that thing is, I don't know whether I don't know whether it's complex. Well, it's obviously not their idea, because it came from the books. Sure. Um, and obviously them being children's books a lot of it you have to kind of analyze yourself right um but it would have been great if we got to do a bit more deep diving in the the musical yeah about you know i don't know you you know (laughs) then we end with into the woods you are not alone known as alone um right right the parallels are maybe more extreme than i first thought um but it is you know for being a fluffy conglomeration of a lot of susian pieces Mm -hmm. there are these like deep moments like i always have been curious about some of the uh gendering present in this show yeah uh, and how different characters are coded and how that implies certain things uh uh-huh. um, and like jojo in plenty of productions i've seen has been cast as a trousers role as a girl playing a boy yeah um, i don't know if i've ever seen it played as a girl um which is fascinating to me because I have seen it as a trousers role, mm. and, and I don't know what it would change. Other, like some of the lyrics in the General Genghis Khan Schmidt song don't quite work, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Um, yeah, in terms of the actual story, it would have zero impact. Right. Um, there's and then the whole uh, Maisie and the egg. Um, and motherhood versus fathership and some, you know, pretty implied metaphors going on there. Um, yes. Is really fascinating to me. Um, yeah, because it's one of those things, because we're dealing in a complete fantasy world. Right. Things like race and gender and sexuality and all of that no longer exist. Right. They're only as invented as we want them to be. Exactly. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't take more advantage of that. Yeah. Well, there is, I mean, I think definitely around Maisie, who even in the, the front matter of the script, uh, I believe Aaron's and Flaherty give some, some pretty good uh, expansion on the characters. But they say about Maisie, Maisie LeBird, self-centered, selfish, and vain. Maisie will never admit to her own flaws. She manip- manipulates anyone she can into doing what she wants. But Maisie isn't all bad. In giving up her egg to Horton once and for all, she has a moment of generosity. She realizes she isn't the kind of person who'd be a good parent, and she does the best thing she can for the egg. Um, in the front, like, from, from the horse's mouth. Uh-huh. Um, Maisie not a villain. Maisie pretty close to a villain, but not a villain. I don't, she never seems like a villain. Sure, but she's cast in that role. Um, but she has... <laughs> reasons behind what she does including like 
to to peel back the metaphor, like mm. giving up her child for adoption. Like adoption, this is, yeah. This is the metaphor. Um, but and then, thankfully as well, like not getting her comeuppance because it, you know what I mean right. she doesn't like well, and that's descend the thing. into and like she doesn't even get her comeuppance for being vain like there is Quite a like opposite well she can't fly very well she can't fly very well but it's not really a big deal um like you know if if we're using the human metaphor of you know plastic surgery um yeah like there's still a moral here that's like hey you know some people get plastic surgery and it's not Absolutely. good for everyone but it's good for some people yeah um and like that's that's a real intense deep moral there it's not it's, it's one of the it, it's so strange that it's in Sue's <laughs> I know right <laughs> because like you know the kind of other themes in in Suzical are very you know child specific yeah but then out of out of nowhere we have this whole theme about and it's just it's out and out Dance 10, looks 3. Yeah. That is literally what Amazing Gertrude and Amazing Maisie is. Sure. But I, I would wager, you know, I work with middle schoolers. Like, everyone has body issues. Um, and, like, how how deep and specific of a metaphor are we getting, right? Because we are imposing these meanings on, as you said, this fantasy world, right? But they go to a, she goes to a doctor. That's true. To get that a is, pill. That is fair. But, you know what I mean? That changes the way she looks. No, that's fair. <laughs> like, right. I wasn't wagering very... that in the argument I was about to build. <laughs> yeah, but that's as it is. It's really overt. And that's like, of all of the things that are quite subversive, this right. is overt. This is like, yeah. yeah. Arons of Larity, we have opinions about plastic surgery. Right. And we're going to talk to you about them. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, no, strange. Well, and I would say opinions about parenthood and children and that's like all of that that i think is brilliant yeah because i think the the family uh, dynamic between jojo and his parents Mm -hmm. um and horton and gertrude and the egg and Maisie and the like that's that's all it's great even sir kangaroo and her child yep well it leads to like um you know you you'll teach him earth and i'll teach him sky i think is one of the most beautiful lyrics in the entire show totally Um, but it doesn't it still doesn't quite gel like Horton and Gertrude and Jojo's parents, who I don't think have names beyond the mayor and his wife. Um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and then the sour kangaroo and their kid don't have that. No one is alone moment that the witch and the baker's wife and uh, 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 Cinderella mm-hmm. all have at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't that like thematic drawing together at the end. Instead, we sing "I do not like green eggs and ham" and do a funky dance, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a missed opportunity. Yeah, because that's uh, I, I think that's a re- I've never thought about that before. But that would be really nice to to tie the mothership. Yeah, or family together. and kids. I would say parentship because it's even pa- saying yeah, exactly. You know, in this in the same like this is why JoJo and Horton are two peas of the same pod like yeah horton despite being entirely made fun of about it and brought to a circus for being an anomaly is still yeah. absolutely ready to be this quote-unquote stereotypical motherly figure and sit yeah. on this egg how ridiculous an elephant sitting on an egg that's not <laughs> yep. what elephants do um and like there is you know this is this is why some of the gendering and implied gendered in this to me 
is important and is you know of note because we're breaking mm-hmm. there there is some intentional commentary on gender norms going on just even yeah. in the source material i've just thought of another like way to change the story yeah because so if you did if we if we went with this idea of the cat in the hat being like kind of like leading player deceptive vibe sure um he could present himself as a sort of father figure to jojo mm-hmm. but the kind of father figure who is reckless and mm-hmm. uh you know the i think i can't remember the, the the actual trope term it might be like the temptress but it's not the temptress because that's a sexual thing but <laughs> like the um there is there is definitely a trope yeah um but this i you know this someone who is like pulling you away from uh the good sure and trying to bring you more into the dark side yeah palpatine um, yeah it kind of is palpatine in a way yeah um and then you know jojo could have a realization that actually no that takes me somewhere bad and goes and back to his parents and realizes the value of family right his parents could go through a similar realization mirror it with horton yeah there's more there there's so much you know more there. Yeah. that's a lovely theme to talk about and in a family show a show that they really wanted to be right lion king style for adults and for yeah. kids alike yeah what a great way to do it is like here's a show about your family right and the struggles you go through and how you overcome them yeah Yeah. and the most important thing at the end of the day is about being a family right no matter who you are in your family exactly but instead we spend an entire song watching aaron carter sing about fish while floating above in his bathtub Um, yeah exactly like it's such you know it, it is so disjointed in its morals and ideas, which is such a shame because there are these deep threads and these deep cores there. Mm -hmm. They just exist as like little blips. It's like, Mm -hmm. but that's the thing is it, it, I feel like they're just relics from the books that have just circumstantially come into the musical via the book, as opposed to Irons and Flaherty setting out to tell a story. Yeah. Perhaps the best, like the, maybe the two morals that they've most imbued into the thing are uh, like, oh, the things you can think, you know, you imagination mm-hmm. is a great thing mm-hmm. and uh, life could be worse. <laughs> How yeah. lucky you are. Like those are perhaps their most uh, uh, salient contributions. And they're so bland. <laughs> They're just so bland. Exactly. They, like, there's no sucker punch. Yeah, man, ain't imagination great? But there's not any imagination in this, you know, no. except Jojo alone in the bathtub. Um, you know, or like life 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 could be worse, you know. Let's explore that. Life could be worse. They don't. No. Not even in the song. Um <laughs> like why decry a cloudy sky and empty purse a crazy universe my philosophy is simple things could be worse like yeah be happy you're here it could be worse tell me how now yeah exactly it just could okay it just could so shut up like i do not like green eggs and hair i don't. do not like them <laughs> do not like green eggs and hair and do. it's such a bop too Woo. it's a good playoff song. but you know i still I st- enjoy <laughs> i know i still really like it i feel like we've never shit talked a musical this much that we still both just really enjoy <laughs> just really enjoy absolutely absolutely because it's just it's fun isn't it it's fun and it's nice well and it is 
you know, this this is a thought I did have. It is very musical theater. Um, oh it gosh, is, actually, we've uh, not even mentioned it. The music is brilliant. The music is brilliant, and I do think <laughs> is um, this is a thing I've thought several times. Aaron's and Flaherty do a fantastic job of adapting their style to whatever they're doing. We talked about it yeah. in ragtime. Like it sounds yeah. like stuff straight out of you know that century. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, Once on this Island, bringing oh yeah. in the kind of Afro-Caribbean. Absolutely. Vi- like, amazing. Susical certainly has its, like, bizarre percussion section and weird instruments here and there. Yeah. But I do think Susical is about as close as we get to, like, the core of Aaron's and Flaherty. Like, this is, yeah. this is their unseasoned, you know, without the extra salt and pepper version of what they write. And it's great. Yeah. We have this thing, you uh-huh. will have this, is, uh-huh. it fits directly into that reference, called Salt and Shake. Okay. <laughs> it's a, so it's a bag of potato chips, uh-huh. crisps, um, that are plain. Ah, uh, and you put And it the comes salt with a tiny it. little salt sachet uh-huh. that you salt, and then you shake. We, we do have some, not like fat, that sort of stuff. Burger King for a while did a thing like that with cheesy fries where you got a little packet oh. of like powdered cheese and that oh, it was delicious. You're making a face, but it was so good. Oh. Um, American fast food is second to none. Um, I don't know if that's good. Apparently. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, sorry. That is, a, you're right. Because this is, it's kind of, they can do what they want. Yeah. And they do. They, they, they do. stretch their muscles. They go from, you know, Calypso to... Uh, jungle to yeah, traditional to like, musical theater to, to like jazz power like, rock ballad yeah uh, all over the place and it's 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 well written and even like just from a structure standpoint like the the reprised themes and like it's good they did a good job with it that's one of the shames of it is that it is from that perspective very yeah. well constructed and so I guess that's it for the people who go to musical theater yeah. to have their fun night at the theater. Yeah. Musical is perfect. Yeah. Well, it is, you know, I do think most American musical theater can be summed up by the idea of like, uh, uh, unbridled optimism in the face of insurmountable obstacle. Uh, uh-huh. and that's Susical. Uh, and you know that's a lot of musical theater. That's into the woods. That's a that, you know even some like deep cuts of musical theater yeah. are very exemplified by like you can defeat the villain just by thinking about how happy you will be when you do it. Um, and like yeah, that's musical too, even for all of its flaws and faults. Yeah. I also forgot the, the whole circus bit as well. Oh God, it's such a pain. That actually, when we did it, that was when I had my costume change. I played Thing Two. Um, blue hair. Blue hair, and you know what Thing's t- Thing Two's job was to push around Horton's tree, um, <laughs> which was uh, quite the ordeal because it was very large and had a big <laughs> nest in it. And my like clown blue hair wig, of course, wasn't hairpin to my head so i would stand up and my hair would get stuck to the nest and i'd walk away and my hair would stay you know still attached to the nest uh it was and that jimmy is why i swore off girls forever yeah i would too (laughs) good golly what did your girlfriend did she was she in it yeah she was a jungle of newlian um was she a bird she wasn't a bird oh 
I don't remember. We had a lot of... She might have also been a Swamp Thing. They must have done something <laughs> with Swamp Things previously. And just had a bunch what of leftover outfits. What song are the Swamp Things in? All it, we were... You know, this is the case of the people versus Horton the Elephant. But There's the people... Swamp. I know. I, you know, I never really thought about the title of that song either. It's not the case of the people versus the Horton the Elephant. They're literally all animals in that moment. They're literally all animals. That but animals are people too. That's not how that works. became pink and then guess what happened well what do you think oh the things you can think think and wonder and dream far and wide as you dare when your things have run dry in the blink of an eye there's a Jimmy was Susical the Musical. Or Susical the Musical. <laughs> Seasical the Musical. Soysical the Moisical. <laughs> I like that one the best, actually. Just, when did we just turn into like a Meisner exercise? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How's that Meisner? Isn't Meisner the one where you just like repeat things at each other? Uh-huh. I I did not do well in my collegiate acting classes. Um, you have a quiz question for us. <laughs> I truly do. Okay. Rumor has it, rumor has it that this musical is cursed. During out of town tryouts, the ladies' bathroom in the theater caught on fire. A dancer overran into the pit, injuring a saxophonist who would later die of a heart attack after being rushed to the hospital. And the leading actor dropped dead in the wings during the second preview. My gosh, what show? What show could it be? I also like the, I, I keep a catalog of British pronunciations that are different than American pronunciations. What do you call someone who plays the saxophone? Oh, a saxophonist. Not a saxophonist? <laughs> no, a saxophone in. That's funny. <laughs> um, saxophonist. Saxophonist. Flautist. That's fun. My favorite is, how do you do say... You don't call it a flutist, do you? No, we call it a flutist. Yeah. No. We'd probably say a flute player. 
You've sickened me. What do you call someone who plays a piano? Penis. I call him a piano player. (laughs) (laughs) But for other reasons. If you want to get in touch with us, our show Twitter is at Jim and Tomic, or you can join the Reddit discussion. Links are in the show notes in your podcatcher right now or at JimandTomic.com. And while you're there, you can check out our Patreon if you would like to financially support the show. Uh, We want to send out a big thank you to all of our current patrons. Um, Also, we do surely appreciate a little review over on Apple Podcasts. They do help us out. Everyone says it, but they do. They absolutely do. I will also add in here, you may have heard we recently joined uh, the Broadway Podcast Network, which has officially launched. We're really excited about it. Um, We truly are. It's one of the coolest things to happen to this podcast. Um, It's one of the coolest things to happen to me, for sure. (laughs) To live your life. Oh, it's so cool. Uh, The thing you need to know is nothing's changing. Um, we're, we're still here. You can still expect, expect, wow, me to mispronounce words and the show to be exactly the same as it's always been. Yes, indeed. Um, but we, uh, are really happy and we're really excited, uh, to be working with the, the BPN family. Um, so yeah, go check them out and yeah, go see check out all the other it. podcasts on the networks. We, we are, sur- our, our photos are surrounded by famous people, Jimmy. Exactly. We're <laughs> colleagues with Donna McKechnie, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Oh man, not in my wildest dreams. Um, yep. And of course, most of all, it helps us when you recommend this podcast to your friends who you think might like it. Uh, I keep seeing on the Twitter other people popping up and they're like, I'm late to the show. And I'm like, honey, you're not late to the show. I'm glad you're, you're here. You're never late. We were, we were you're... holding the curtain just for you. Oh, so true. Hey, that's all, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Tommy, I'm just a very versatile actor. What as, can I say? As they say, you're verse. <laughs>